Okay, good morning, everybody. Find your seats. Glad you could fellowship together. That's part of worship is celebrating being in God's presence together. It's one of my favorite things to do on a Sunday. Um, you know, it's why we have the body of Christ. It's why we have the church. It's because the Holy Spirit isn't just floating around. God chose to actually deposit it in the heart of believers so that we could interact with one another and encourage, spur one another on, hold one another accountable <clears throat> and become the body of Christ together. Um, just so you know, if you wanna find the scriptures that we're doing this morning, be sure you go to, uh, just go to fxchurch.com. If you go there and click on go live, you'll find a link. If you scroll down, you'll find all the scriptures, both in Spanish and in English. So for those of you who are Spanish speaking, those are on there now. We're gonna try to keep those on there when you're here. So if you click on that link, it'll pull up all the scriptures in Spanish. I hope they're right, because I can't read them. No, they, they should be. Um, but they're there on the live page. So if you go to fxchurch.com and then you hit, there's a little round circle, go live, scroll down, you'll see the scriptures. You'll find all the scriptures we're gonna go through this morning will be there on the page uh, for you. <clears throat> and so you can check that out. This morning, last couple of weeks, um, of course, Brian preached through the book of John, Luke preached through Luke, now Matthew's preaching through Matthew. Um, I told Brian we should have hired a John, but anyway, um, but we hired a Brian instead. Uh, but they also shared the last couple of weeks about who Christ is. He is the Word, and He is the light of the world. This week, <clears throat> we're going to be looking at the fact, the same question that we've been dealing with, which is, what child is this? Because that's really the question that we have to wrestle with, okay? What child is Jesus? Who is Jesus? Like, this is not a small thing. As a matter of fact, it's the same question you wrestle with. Who am I? Who, who am I? Like, who, who am I is Matt Shockney. Who, who are you? Like, yeah, we have a name. I'm Matthew Clint Shockney. That's my full name. But, but who am I really? That's the question that we all at some point are going to come face to face with in our life. Who am I really? And if you have not settled that issue, if you have been building your own kingdom and trying to be your own king, you're going to come to a place in life on this side of eternity first where you're going to realize that I'm not my own king and I'm not in control of my destiny fully. And then when you stand before God, you're going to have to give an account over what kind of child you were and whose child you were. God says he wants for us to be his children. You are not automatically God's child because you're born. You're automatically human. You're designed, you've been created with the image of God, but you have not decided to be his child, Jesus said, until you're born again, spiritually. The Bible is clear on that. There, there's, there's not even a discussion. And so the question really boils down to for everybody is, who is Jesus? What child is this child that was born? And this morning, what we're gonna look at is the fact that this child that was born was the king of kings. Like he's the king of all kingdoms that have ever existed. He, he's everything. And let me just tell you, when we read this part of the story in Matthew 2, 
it should hit you so radically. See, we get used to these stories because we hear them every Christmas, right? This is radical. What God does in Matthew chapter 2 is literally turns the entire world upside down and he exposes the entire truth of all the scriptures like Jason shared about when we read those scriptures together. It's like on full display, God is declaring the moment that things are coming together. And our response to that really does determine who we think we are. Our response to who we think this child is determines the way we're going to live our life and what kingdom and king we're going to serve. It's not a small thing. And in this story, that's exactly what we see. Okay? And you have to make that decision. Now, the entire book of Matthew, we went through the book of Matthew a few years ago. We, we went through it. The entire book of Matthew is about the kingdom. That, that's the whole book. That's why Matthew starts out at the beginning of the book laying out, here's the king, and here's what his kingdom is going to look like. And the rest of the gospel of Matthew, which is a mirror to Luke, but Matthew uses more Old Testament scripture and he uses more references about the kingdom, the word kingdom appearing, I think, 70-some times in his book, to say this really is the king of the world, and this is what his kingdom looks like, and this is why everybody rejects this king. You think we're going to have a conflict in 2024 in an election? That's nothing compared to the conflict people have with Jesus. It pales in comparison. We're going to elect one of two idiots, most likely, because that's what we do. We pick idiots. I don't know why, right? We don't, we don't pick like really good, highly qualified, truthful, great men of character. We pick two terrible people and say, now, which of the two terrible do we pick? Like, since I've been alive, right? And every time they tell us, this is the election of our lifetime. I've been alive 48 years. And every election, I've heard that. This is the, ele this is the one. This is the one. If we don't get this right, the world's going to end. And then there's another four-year election. And we fall for it over and over. And, and in meanwhile, there's this king who's been living simply, who's been allowing creation to go on, just like Jesus did. He was born, and we didn't hear about him for 30 years. He's just been living life, being righteous, doing the right thing, building his kingdom behind the scenes. And we're so worried about our kingdoms and the stuff around us and my life and me as a king and what king do I want that we miss the king. And that's exactly what happened in Jesus' day, which is why this story is so absolutely amazing. Because it's like, can this child be the king of kings? There's no way. None of this makes sense. He isn't born like a king. He doesn't live like a king. He doesn't have kingly parents for many. Like, how is he a king? He hasn't done anything to earn kingship. He hasn't beaten any empires. How is he just a king? That's exactly what you find in Matthew's whole book. He starts with these first two chapters, and the rest of his book is to say, the first two things I told you, I'm going to prove to you. I'm going to lay this out for 28 chapters, and at the end of my book that I write, I'm going to put the great commission that says, if you believe his king, that he is king, prove it. You think he's king? Prove it. Go into all the world, make disciples, and teach them to obey everything the king told you, because he's building a kingdom. I mean, Matthew just is bold and lays it out. Let's dive in. Matthew 1. The first thing you're ever going to do with a king is you start with a genealogy. Like, where'd this guy come from? 
You say you're a king. You say you're royalty. Well, how do I know if you're royalty? Where'd you come from? You got royal blood? Or you just like declare myself a king? Like, I'm a king today. No. Like my family's really good that if I declared myself a king, I have great people in my life that would look at me and go, no, you're not. I have friends. You guys would look at me like, no, man, we love you. You're not a king. Matter of fact, three of us are going to come over and prove to you you're not a king. We'll be there with duct tape and we'll throw you in the trunk and drive you around for a while. You know, like just there, you're not a king. See, kings don't ride in trunks with duct tape. Right now, we're the king of your life and we're singing and we love you. We just want you to know that you're not a king because that's dangerous for people if you think you're a king. Look at what happens. Matthew 1, the historical record. Notice Matthew says it's a historical record. This is not an opinion. Matthew and Luke put more details in their gospel that if they would have gotten it wrong, it would have ended the message of Jesus. If you're trying to tell a good lie, you leave out details. See, this is how when you're doing like an interrogation on someone, you try to get them to talk more and more and give you more details because you know if they're lying, eventually their details won't line up. That's what good interrogators and police officers and detectives do. They get you talking, and then they got you, right? Because you're going to contradict yourself eventually. Matthew gives specific details of the empire, the rulers, the time period, Luke, the census that's given, things that you could go back in history and find documents, Roman documents, Jewish documents, and if it weren't true, prove wrong in a second. Be like, that guy never ruled. That guy didn't do that. That guy never existed. Do you realize that most people up until just a few years ago believed that Pontius Pilate never existed until they found a coin with Pontius Pilate's face on it, buried way below the earth where it couldn't have been planted there. And then they were like, oh, this Pilate guy did exist. See, you just leave out Pontius. You just say, Jesus went before the authority, the Roman authority. You wouldn't say Pontius Pilate. You just say the Roman authority. Oh, but Matthew and Luke give specific details because it's a historical record. They're saying, look, prove me wrong that he is not the king of kings and the Lord of lords. I dare you. Take me on with the facts. Don't give me opinion. Take it to the facts. And he says, this is the historical record of Jesus Christ. Remember, the name Jesus Christ, okay, means Yahweh who saves, who is the Messiah. The first thing Matthew says is, this guy is the savior of the world. He is God Yahweh, and he is actually the Messiah that's been promised since Genesis that we read about earlier. Matthew's not holding any punches. He's like, go toe-to-toe with me. Here we go. And then he says, the son of David, that's royalty. David was king. That's King David. So this, this kid, this child, this person I'm writing about is actually from the line of David. His blood line comes from David himself. Not through the father, but through his mother, which you read about when they give the genealogies in Luke and Matthew. Joseph was not his earthly father. God the father was his earthly father, but Mary was of the house of David. So was Joseph by adoption. So so Jesus was both an adopted David's son and he was an actual bloodline David's son. So this guy is from God and he is actual blood royalty. 
And then he says the son of Abraham. He adds this. Why? Because Abraham was the one that God made the special promise that all the nations, all the worlds, all the kings and all the lords, Lord of Lord and King of Kings, would come through the line of David. So this kid who's born is from David's line and he's from Abraham's bloodline. There's like, Matthew's like, argue with me, let's go. I'm gonna lay this out. He is Yahweh, who is Yahweh who saves, who is the Messiah from the line of David, from the line of Abraham. Okay, let's argue. Let's go after it. If you don't think so. I mean, that is bold. And then he says, the angel appears to Mary and says, she will give birth to her, to Joseph, and says, she will give birth to a son, and you are to name him Jesus. He's talking to Joseph in a dream, because Joseph is doubting that Mary, he's like, how did Mary get pregnant? I mean, if you were dating someone, if you were engaged to someone, and they came to you and said, I'm pregnant, and you're like, we haven't done it, so that means you cheated on me. And Joseph, Believed Mary somewhat because she said it wasn't, I didn't cheat on you. The Holy Spirit did this. Joseph's like, well, I don't know if I can believe that, but I don't want to hurt you. So he was going to dismiss her privately, right? To not embarrass her with whatever happened. How, how loving and like caring is that? To dismiss someone like that when you could have drug her out to the street and had her stoned by Old Testament law. And Joseph, in his love and his mercy, and, and saying, I'm not sure, I don't know what I believe, but I, I don't want to hurt you, Mary. I love you. We've been betrothed probably since they were kids. We've been betrothed our whole lives. Like, I don't want to hurt you. I don't want to hurt your family. So we'll just dismiss you quietly. And an angel appears to Joseph and says, don't do that. <laughs> it's actually of God. And you're going to be the adopted father of this child. We have people in this church who've chosen to be adopted parents and raise children that aren't their own as their own because God's asked them to do that. And that's exactly what Joseph does. And it says he will be named Jesus, which means he will be named Joshua. He will be named Yahweh saves. You're supposed to name this kid the savior of the world. He is Yahweh who's going to save his people. And then he says, because he will save his people from their sins. So then he says, here, look at this. This is why Jesus was rejected as king of kings. Matthew, at the beginning of his gospel, says, look, I can already tell you why you're going to reject Jesus. Because you don't want to be saved from your sins. You want to be saved from your circumstances and problems. And this Messiah is not coming to save you from your circumstances and problems. That's why Jesus was crucified. It's why he was rejected. It's because everybody wanted Jesus to be their Messiah, their King, their Lord, that they got a vote to tell them what to do. I voted for you, now you do for me. Listen, it's not a democracy in heaven. It's a benevolent monarchy. There's no democracy. You don't get a vote in heaven. God will take our opinions. He's fine to hear our prayers and look at us and go, no, I love you. Okay, moving on. And sometimes he'll say, yes, you have my will. Great, let's do this together. Matthew says from the beginning, this savior that's coming, he's not coming like you think. And he's not coming to save you from what you want to be saved from. He's actually coming to save you from something that you cannot ever save yourself from, your sin. You can save yourself financially. 
You can save yourself sometimes with health and other doctors can help you. You can save yourself in all kinds of different ways. But the thing that you cannot save yourself in is who pays the debt for the sin and the rebellion and the treason you've committed against God Almighty. And Matthew, at the beginning of his book, says, this king is not coming to beat all the sinners and get rid of all the sinners and kill them. He's coming to look at sinners and say, I can save you. And the Jews of his day, they all wanted a savior that made their sins okay and judged all the sins of everybody else. We're the righteous people. You kill all those Romans. That's the king we want. You see, that's how Matthew starts his book. Then he says, now look, look at this. Now all this took place to fulfill what was spoken by the Lord through the prophets. See, the virgin will become um, pregnated, give birth to a son, and they will name him Emmanuel, which means God with us. See, this is the problem in our day today. We don't like the God that's with us. Just as much as they didn't like the God that was with them. They crucified him. The God I want with me is the one that when I tell him to do something, he kicks the rear end of the bullies that I want to get rid of. He's the God that responds to what I want and my desires and my will, not I surrender to his. You see, I want God with me on my terms. I don't want God with me on his terms. And Jesus came to say, look, you guys have been looking for the wrong Messiah. You've been looking for a Messiah on your terms. Listen, today we still do this same exact thing. We are looking for a Messiah that will make us safe and rich and worldly successful. And we've got churches that are running around promising people that. And people are flocking to the, those churches in droves. Jesus came poor as in a broken family situation by earthly definitions. Ran for his life, we're going to see. W worked a construction job until he started his ministry. Called a bunch of guys that were terrible. They weren't important people. Fishermen and, like, mostly fishermen. Like, I don't know if you've ever been around fishing or fishermen. They stink. Like, those oils get in you, and they're in you for a while. It took a few years for that to get out. Like, whew. Jesus is looking and he's saying, look, God is going to be with you. And our thought, same as you, is if I've got God, then I'm going to have all these great things. Not if I have God, he's going to call me to lay my life down for great things for others. And we still fall for the same lie. Do you know how many people are going to miss the second coming of Christ who say they believe in Jesus because he's not going to come like they thought? They're going to miss it. I don't know how. I just know that's what the Bible says. And how many people missed his first coming? The majority of people missed his first coming. And the people that got it and saw his first coming that we're going to see in a minute were the wrong people. <laughs> they weren't the right people. <laughs> the right people it missed it. They totally ignored it. Look, Matthew chapter 2. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of King Herod, 
Again, Matthew gives the detail of King Herod. He could have just said when Jesus was born. But he doesn't. He gives a specific date that now we can check him. We can go back and say, oh, was Herod, was Herod king then? Oh, oh, yeah, yeah, he was. Was there a census back then that we read about in Luke? Oh, yeah, there was. Was Cornelius the, the governor? Oh, yeah, he was. These are details you would leave out if you're telling a lie. You don't put these in there. Then he says, look, wise men from the east arrived unexpectedly in Jerusalem. Saying, where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star in the east and we have come to worship him. At this point, Jesus is probably 18 months old to two years old when the wise men arrive. That's why I always tell people, if you have a manger scene, make a consideration to put the wise men across the house somewhere else. Just a consideration. They weren't there when he was born in the manger. Okay? They weren't. We're going to see it in a minute. They were not there. So you might want to put them like away and have them traveling. We don't do that. I try to do it every year and then they get moved back in the manger. So it's just the way it is. I can't win in my house. Everybody wants them together. I'm like, they weren't together. The wise men should be like, like they should be over in Greene County. As small as they are, it's probably Greene County to here. We need to drive our wise men to Greene County and put them in a house over there to travel to our house, right? Because Jesus at this point was 18 months to two years old. Now this is critical. For 18 months to two years, the king of kings, the king of the Jews has been born and no one in Jerusalem gets it. The only two people who got it were Anna and Simon and everybody looked at them. Luke preached about them last week. Everybody looked at Anna and Simon and said, oh, they're just two crazy old bats. They don't know what they're talking about. Because they were, they were crazy old people. And they're like, oh, we don't know about them. They just like worship God and stay here in the temple and weird stuff. They don't know about real life and living. And so they were ignored. Other than that, for the next two years after Jesus' birth, everybody's just doing life as normal. And the King of kings and the Lord of lords has been born into the earth. The stars of heaven have led these wise men from far away to come find this king. They come to Jerusalem. They're like, hey, we're looking for the king. And everybody in Jerusalem's like, what? There was a king? He was born? Huh? I mean, nothing's changed. I mean, I, I figured if a king would show up, like things would happen. Like things would change. There'd be like king stuff going on. Nope. He's been born. We know he's been born. Look, here's the other thing about these wise men. How do these wise men from the east know it, but the Jews missed it? This will blow you away if you've never studied it. These wise men from the east were called magi. They were probably Zoroastrians. They were probably from Persia. Okay? Ancient Persia. Okay, so how would ancient Persians have known to search the scriptures to, so that when they saw a weird star, they didn't make up a new deity, they didn't make up a new God, but they actually thought maybe that's the God of Israel that we've heard about and we've read about because there's a star that's coming, which we read earlier in our scripture reading. There's going to be a star in the heavens that appears to declare his coming. How did these Persian Zoroastrians know that they should be looking for a Jewish Messiah? 
Oh, because there was this dude named Daniel who lived in Babylon as a slave, probably as a eunuch, which means he lost some of his private parts. He couldn't reproduce, so he couldn't bring any offspring. But now these wise men from the east are Daniel's offspring to the world to declare the coming Messiah five to six hundred years after Daniel has died. These wise men from the east are searching the scriptures and searching for the Jewish king more than the actual people of God in Jerusalem who have the temple at this point that they're worshiping in. You don't think that's still happening today? That the church around the world is exploding. People who don't know Jesus are having dreams and visions and coming to know him. And we as Christians don't have a clue. We don't care that he shows up. We don't care that he's around. We're just doing our life, doing our religious thing, doing our church stuff. And the King of kings and Lord of lords has been born. He's alive. He has died and come back to life. We should be traveling everywhere to declare this to the ends of the earth like the wise men. And instead, we're just good hanging out in Jerusalem. Missing it all. Like, this is amazing. These wise men, it's like, and it says that, look what it says, King Herod. And look at, they said they came to worship him. This wasn't like they were coming to find a king and be like, what's up? They, like, they were coming with gifts to worship this king. Now look, there weren't three wise men. Okay, there weren't three. They weren't kings. There's nothing that says they're kings. They were wise men. They were magi. We came up with we three kings of Orientar. Like, why did we come up with that? Because it rhymes. It's cool. Like, that's so we're going to say that. They weren't kings. They weren't looking to be kings. They were just wise men that were searching for the truth in the world. They were searching for the truth in creation. And when they found it, they couldn't help but declare the truth they found. And to seek it out with their lives. Do you realize, do you realize what they took their lives for to travel with that much wealth and to be that obvious as wise men traveling, probably with an entourage of wealth. There weren't three wise men. The reason we always say three is because frankincense, gold, and myrrh. But the, the Bible doesn't say there were three. There could have been a thousand wise men from Persia. There could have been a thousand wise men that came into Jerusalem like, we have been searching and we found your Jewish king. And they're all like, no, you couldn't have found the Jewish king because like we're here, the Jewish king would have come. Here's the other thing. The star leads them to Judah, but not to Bethlehem. These kings, not kings, wise men, assume, well, if there's going to be a king, where's he going to be living when we show up? In the king's city in Scripture, and the king's city in Scripture is where? Jerusalem. So he must be in Jerusalem. Like the star only got him so far. And then they're like, we got to go to Jerusalem because that must be where the king is. And then they get to Jerusalem. And everybody's like, there's no king here. We don't know what you're talking about. And they're like, what? I thought we found the Jewish king. And then we come to these Jewish people and they don't know where the king is. Did we miss something? I mean, can you imagine the disappointment if you're the wise men? Like you're excited. You're coming into Jerusalem. You're like, we're here. And everybody's like, why are you here? Because you're king. What king? I mean, you'd be like, okay, did, did we interpret the stars wrong? Was Daniel wrong 600 years? Oh, no. 
What am I going to tell my wife? We've gone really far out of the way. That's what I would have thought. Be like, honey, I'm sorry. We, we, we thought we had it right, but we're, we're, we're supposed to go to the East Coast, but now we're on the West Coast, and you slept, and so I'm sorry. We're going to have to turn around. Look at what happens. It says, when King Herod heard this, he was deeply disturbed. Why? Because if you're a person of authority and another king is born, you know intuitively a war is coming. You either give up your kingdom and you surrender to them or they kick you out. There can't be two kings. There can only be one. King Herod knows this. So he is deeply disturbed. And then it says all Jerusalem with him are disturbed. They're not excited. They're disturbed that this king's going to mess up their life. Look, we have a good deal. Herod's building us a temple. The Jews and the Romans are getting along really well right now. And it took us a long time to bring this peace between Republicans and Democrats. We can't have no king screwing this up. Everybody's disturbed. They don't want a king. It's fine. We're not looking for that right now. Then he says, so he assembled, Herod, all the chief priests and scribes and the people and asked them, where the Messiah would be born. Again, wise men from the East who don't have a temple, who probably aren't Jewish, right, have figured this out, and Herod has to assemble everybody together because he can't find agreement on where the child's supposed to be born. Like, seriously? So what happens? In Bethlehem of Judea, they told Herod, because this is what was written by the prophet. And you, Bethlehem, and the land of Judah are by no means least among the leaders of Judah because out of you will come a leader who will shepherd my people Israel. They actually read the scriptures, praise God. Because that's Micah 5.2. Micah 5.2. Micah was written probably about six, 700 years before this. About 700. Micah was written. So, so they find this 700-year-old prophecy and they're like, oh yeah, yeah, he was supposed to be born in Bethlehem because Bethlehem is David's city. And if he is born of woman, he needs to be born by blood in the city of David as the king. Isn't it amazing how God makes everything work perfectly? He lays everything out so clearly. And so now he says, Bethlehem, you think you're little among the big Judah clan. Because remember, we read earlier, Jason read about Judah being the, the tribe that the Messiah was going to come out of. And he's like, Judah was not the big city. It wasn't the best place. Or Bethlehem was not the best place in Judah. It was kind of like, oh yeah, Bethlehem. It, it's nice. It's a nice place. It's, just, it's Bethlehem. It wasn't that important but it was vitally important to back up David's kingship. And then it says, look, out of you will come a leader who will shepherd my people Israel. That is a loaded statement. It does not say out of you who will come a leader who will guide my armies of Jacob and Judah. But let me repeat that. Because he's the lion of the tribe of Judah. So it doesn't say, out of you will come a leader who will lead my armies of Judah and Jacob to war. He says, out of you will come a leader who will shepherd my people Israel. Do you know what the word Israel means? The one who wrestles with God or people who wrestle with God. That's what the name means. 
God changed Jacob's name to Israel when Jacob wrestled with God and put him with a limp hip the rest of his life. He said, no, 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 you're not a deceiver anymore. You're going to wrestle the rest of your life. So literally, Matthew says, this king, they go, he's going to be born in Bethlehem. And what he's going to do when he comes is he's going to be a shepherd, not a warrior. And he's going to help people who are willing to wrestle with God, to walk with God and follow him in all the pastures he leads them to. And everyone rejects Jesus, including his disciples, because they wanted the Lord of hosts, an army ruler to come to overthrow the Romans and give them all positions of power, not make them shepherds. Peter, at the end of the book of John, after Jesus has been resurrected, he's seen him ascend, or he's seen the transfiguration earlier, is still fishing. When Jesus said, stop fishing, and Peter's still out fishing, and Jesus is on the shore with fish, making him a meal, saying, I don't need your fish. I can just catch them. I can just be like, jump on the fire. And they jump on the fire. I don't need your, why are you fishing? Peter comes into the shore. He goes, Peter, why are you still fishing? Peter's like, oh, uh, uh, feed my sheep, tend my lambs, feed my sheep. Three times. I told you to be a shepherd, Peter, and you're still fishing. You're still playing in the marketplace. Be a shepherd. Call people to follow and to go into the pastures. Wrestle, go out with, why are you wrestling with nets and fish when I've told you to wrestle with God's people? I mean, Matthew lays all this out and this is not the kingdom we want. I don't want a king that tells me I need to help him shepherd people and I gotta wrestle with stupid people. I don't wanna do that. I don't wanna wrestle with, I don't want, no. I want to be fixed. I personally just want everything fixed in my life. I don't want to wrestle with nothing. And I want to be able to go around and be like zapping people. You're fixed, and you're fixed, and you're fixed, and you're fixed. See, look at my king. He's awesome. He just fixes. I don't want to have to walk with them in their mess. I don't want to struggle with them. I just want fixes. Goes on and says this. Revelation says this about Jesus. Then I saw him. See, at the second coming... Jesus' first coming, he comes as a shepherd, kind, struggling with people, walking with them. He asks us to do the same, but at his second coming, it says this. Then I saw heaven open, and there was a white horse. His rider is faithful and true, and he judges and makes war and righteousness. His eyes were like fiery flame, and many crowns were on his head. In other words, many crowns means he owns all the kingdoms. Every crown would represent a person or a kingdom. He's in charge. That's why he's got many crowns. And then it says, he had a name written on that, written that no one knows except himself. He wore a robe stained with blood. And his name is the word of God, the logos of God. His name means everything he said is his name. And then he says, the armies that were in heaven followed him the shepherd on white horses, wearing pure white linen. They'd been washed clean of their sin. A sharp sword came from his mouth so that he might strike the nations with it. He will shepherd them now with an iron scepter. This shepherd who was willing to die for the sheep is no longer dying. He is an iron scepter shepherd. If you're not with me, it's over for you in the second coming. And look at what this says. He will also trample the winepress of the fierce anger of God the Almighty. And he has a name written on his robe and on his thigh. 
That always makes me think, did Jesus have a tattoo? Anyway, and then it says, King of kings and Lord of lords. King of kings and Lord of lords. Maybe it's just permanent magic marker. Okay. Um, King of kings and Lord of lords. In other words, don't mistake who this person is. And the reason Jesus was rejected by his own people is because they were looking for this the first time. They didn't read the scriptures that said he would come as a humble shepherd to give them a chance to repent and all the world to repent. And as a result, I think a lot of people are going to miss Jesus the second time because instead of expecting him to come like this, they're telling you he will never come like this. See, the first group said that's how he's going to come. He's not going to come all nice and loving and kind. That's not what the Pharisees and Sadducees and the Jews taught people. Now we're teaching people Jesus isn't going to come like this. He's all loving and kind and good. He would never hurt anyone. He won't judge anybody. He just loves you. We just flipped the narrative, which is why so many people are going to miss the second coming of Christ. They're going to be like, that's not my Savior. He's got blood and he's a warrior and there's like flames stemming out of his head. Like a sword. Like that's scary. That's not my Jesus. Just like they didn't, he didn't come that way for the Jews and they said, he's not my king, he's not my Lord, if he would love people that I think are bad. See, you've got to be real careful that you don't swing the pendulum too far one way or the other and you stay exactly on who this king is and who the Lord of Lords is. Look at what happens. Matthew 2, then Herod secretly summoned the wise men and asked them the exact time the star appeared. Herod wants to know the time, and we're going to see why we know it's 18 months to two years in just a minute. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, go and search carefully for the child. For when you find him, report back to me so that I too can go and worship him. Okay, if you didn't know the rest of the story, because you know the rest of the story, but pretend like you don't. If you didn't know the rest of the story and you were a wise man, because these were wise men, and someone, you showed up in the guy's town and said, we figured out where the king of the Jews is born. We know he's been born. He thinks he's been around for about 18 months or two years. And a guy who hasn't cared at all that a king has been born tells you, oh, really? Oh, I would love to worship him. What would your first thought, what should it be? Really? Because like you didn't even know he existed. So I'm not real sure that you as a king are really concerned about worshiping a king. Because you would have figured out there was a king if you wanted to worship a king. Instead, you were so consumed with your own kingdom, now you're saying you want to worship because there's something in it for you. Can I just tell you, this is exactly what we do as Christians today. If someone comes to you and says, oh, I know Jesus, I love Jesus, I, love Je I, I like Jesus. We're all like posting on Instagram about some famous person. Oh, they know Jesus now. And then you give it about six months and you're like, I hope, I, well, I got to take that down, right? Because their life is a complete and utter debacle. I don't know if they really came to know Jesus or not, but from the witness of their life, they aren't worshiping him and they have no desire to worship him. They added Jesus to their life to use him, which is what everybody in Jesus's day was looking to do. And Jesus said, I will not be used except by the father as his sacrifice for you. You see, we do the same thing. We're, we're like the wise men. We're like, oh, Herod loves Jesus too. Oh, this is great. We just walk together. We're friends because you love Jesus and I love Jesus. And then they do something horrible and we're like, oh, I had no idea he didn't love Jesus. How did you not know? This guy is a wicked king. 
And they're ready to like come back and report. Herod is lying. Look, it goes on and says this. After hearing the king, they went on their way. And there it was, the star they had seen in the east. It led them and it came and it stopped above the place where the child was. Somewhere in the midst of their trip, their GPS stopped working. They got a star that said, go here. And then they got there and then there was no star. Did you know that in the story? See, most of us don't realize that. We think the wise men just followed the star and then it just came up. No, 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 no. Literally, they are now trusting God's prophets, the, the Pharisees, and the, they're trusting God's word by faith because they can't find the star. They are going to Bethlehem by faith. They, should, they arrived in Jerusalem and said, we don't know where this child's supposed to be born. The word of God says Bethlehem. They're blessed by King Herod to go to Bethlehem. So by faith, they travel to Bethlehem. Because Micah 5.2 was presented to them. And they said, well, if Micah 5.2, the word of God says he's born in Bethlehem, we missed that, we'll go to Bethlehem. On their way to going to Bethlehem, God in his great wonder, which is what he always does, God honors faith. He didn't give them the star first, he gave them faith first, and then he gave them a star. Don't miss that. They, weren't, they didn't look ahead and be like, well, we'll leave once we see the star reappear. We're just waiting. Just, we're just waiting. I know the Bible says, I know you as the king have dismissed us to Bethlehem, but we really need the star again. No, they just go by faith, and then all of a sudden the star appears, and they're like, oh, there it is. Our GPS is back on. We got, we got 5G. We're good. Okay, here we go. And they literally follow the little geo car all the way to the Bethlehem house, right? It's like, there it is. Okay, yeah. This is amazing GPS. I mean, Elon Musk, this is what he does with his Starlink. This is Starlink happening back in the day. It's like, oh, there it is. They go, and now look at this, watch. They, and then it says, when they saw the star, they were overjoyed beyond measure. They had been traveling without this star, going by faith. They saw the star and then it disappeared. Like, should we stop now that the star disappeared? No. We're going to continue by faith. We're going to continue to believe what we saw. We're going to continue to believe Daniel. We're going to continue to believe the word of God. We're going to keep going. We don't need a star. We've got God. We've got a king that was born. I don't need a stinking star. I saw it. It's good. We're moving forward. And then it reappears and they're like, oh, we weren't wrong. That's what Jesus' second coming is going to be. He's going to appear and we're going to be like, oh, we weren't wrong. It's such a beautiful picture. And then he says, entering the house. Wait, I thought he was in a manger. Joseph and Mary had been waiting in Bethlehem for two years for God to tell them to go. They traveled to Jerusalem to have Jesus circumcised and dedicated. And they came back to Bethlehem because God had not told them to leave yet, even though their home was in Nazareth in Galilee. Let me repeat that. Joseph and Mary went back to Bethlehem where they didn't have to. Joseph had to start a new career, had to find a house to rent. They couldn't stay in the manger anymore, couldn't stay in the barn. They found a house to rent. Like, he had to find a living to make. For two years, he stayed in Bethlehem because God had not told them to leave yet. Don't miss that. We are constantly running after our plans because we think we're our own kings to build our own kingdoms and we refuse to wait. And if you don't wait, you miss wise men.
You will miss the wisdom of God. You will miss the miracles of God every time because you don't wait. You're in a hurry. I got to get back home. I got to get back to my family. Joseph and Mary are in Bethlehem alone. I mean, they might have some family around there since they were from the town of Bethlehem in terms of their lineage. And then look what it says. They saw the child. The word child there is different than infant. It means toddler in the Greek. That's why we know that he was older than a baby. It's because a different word is used. And then he goes on, he says, look at this. And falling to their knees. Oh my gosh, can you imagine the picture? These crazy people from the east that don't look like anybody else in town. Let's just be clear. You're coming from Zoroaster, you know, Persia. You don't look like the Jews. You're coming and everybody's like, they're weird, right? They got weird stuff going on. They don't speak our language. And they literally stop at your house, knock on the door. You've been waiting. The door opens. They look past you. They see the child and they like fall down and start worshiping. And like, if I'm Joseph, I'm what in the world is happening? Like for two years, I've been working my tail off here in Bethlehem. Nothing really significant's happened. Just been waiting on God. And then all of a sudden, these crazy people come in. The whole town's in an uproar. They're bowing down my son. Like, like we forget to put ourselves in the situation. And then it says, look, they worshiped him. The Jews in Jerusalem are still going to all the festivals. They're doing all their religious stuff and they're not worshiping Jesus. Who knows who they're worshiping? These foreigners immediately know this is someone to be worshiped. This is someone to give your life to. This is someone to go down to. And then it says they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. You want to know what's something interesting here? When we think of gold, frankincense, and myrrh, you always think of it because you see the little wise men in the manger as just like one bar of gold, one thing of myrrh, one thing of frankincense. How do we know it wasn't thousands of bottles of myrrh? A case of myrrh, a keg of myrrh. Like, how do we know? They got a keg, we got multiple kegs of myrrh. Also, gold, frankincense, and myrrh were all three elements used in the temple to get the priests ready for worship. All three of them had been used since the book of Exodus and Deuteronomy in temple worship. The frankincense was the aroma. The myrrh was the oil to wash the priests. The temple had gold all over the, the altar and the walls. This was a symbol that if you're going to bring a Jewish king gifts, you bring him the gifts that are prescribed in his book. Because when the people came together to dedicate the tabernacle, the gifts they brought were gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Like these guys get it and the rest of God's people are missing it. Not to mention, if you're Joseph and Mary, you think to yourself, you ready for this? Oh, I'm finally set. I've been poor my whole life. We didn't know, bless you. We didn't know if this king was the really king. You know, this whole Mary said she was pregnant. She's not. Nothing really big's happened. Just some things. Like, we haven't seen signs or miracles. And now these people show up. I mean, if you're Joseph, your head's on a, I mean, he's got to be spinning. Right? Check this out. Here's Joseph. He's got all this wealth now. Because even a little bit of gold, frankincense, and myrrh would have made you incredibly wealthy in this time period. I mean really wealthy. You're thinking to yourself, finally, I don't have to work construction anymore. 
Finally, he's going to build his kingdom. Oh, yeah, baby. Yeah, this is such a great decision to marry. Mary, when they thought she cheated on me. This is awesome. That's what you're thinking. All this was, we'll see in a moment, all this was, was an emergency fund. It was an emergency fund. Because Joseph and Mary are going to run for their lives for an emergency here in just a moment. And they have to live two years as, as foreign immigrants in a foreign land where Joseph probably couldn't get a job and couldn't work because of his foreign immigration status. And so for two years, they have to live off of the gold, frankincense, and myrrh, and they have to sell it little by little and watch the kingdom they thought they had gathered disappear out of their hands. And don't think God doesn't do the exact same thing to you and me. Take our little kingdom that we didn't deserve, that was given to us through our health, our ability to work, maybe family, friends, a good job, all those things. And over the course of your life, God just says, it's not yours anymore. It's mine. It's mine. It's no different. This is just an emergency fund. That's all this is. And Joseph and Mary are probably thinking, finally, this is happening. We've been waiting two years. Uh, now, we go on in the story. And being warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their own country by another route. After they were gone, an angel of the Lord suddenly appeared to Joseph in a dream saying, get up, take the child and his mother and flee to Egypt and, and stay there until I tell you. Can you imagine? It's like, we've been in Bethlehem two years. Now I got to flee somewhere else and stay? It has not been going well here. Now, okay. And then it says, look. For Herod is about to search for the child to destroy him. So he got up, took the child and his mother during the night and escaped to Egypt. This was quick. This was last minute. Joseph's running for his life. Doesn't have time to warn anybody else. They literally are now on the run because of this king. You see, we don't understand that if you accept Jesus as your king, you're probably going to be on the run a lot in your life from the things of this world. Because there's an enemy who's, who's trying to keep you from sharing who he is with anyone that'll listen. There's an enemy that's trying to destroy you. He goes on and he says, he stayed there until Herod's death so that what was spoken by the Lord through the prophet might be fulfilled. Out of Egypt, I called my son. Out of Egypt, I called my son. Again, another prophecy fulfilled that, yes, you have to be born in Bethlehem, but I have to call you out of Egypt. So here's your emergency fund to go live in Egypt so I can call you out of Egypt. See, it's all right there in the Bible. It's all, it's all in Scripture. It's just happening right according to plan. And you're like, this is not a good plan. By the way, the word angel means messenger. It doesn't mean like guy with wings and flashy light. Okay. The word angel means messenger in the Bible. It doesn't say cherub. It doesn't say seraphim. Like the Bible, we use specific words for angels. Angel just means messenger. So some messenger in a dream told Joseph to run for his life. How good are you at listening to messengers and determining whether they're God's messengers or just your own bad pizza you ate before you went to bed? Joseph was obviously good at knowing how to hear God's voice. 
Knowing how to determine whether it was the enemy's message or God's message. And we got to become good too by knowing God's word and knowing the Bible says he's got to be called out of Egypt. So when the angel says to him, he's going to be called out of Egypt, that's why you got to flee to Egypt. Just like, oh, okay, yeah, you're right. That's the word of God. Okay, we'll go to Egypt. Look at this. Hosea says this. When Israel was a child, I loved him. And out of Egypt, I called my son. This is the exact quote. The more they called them, the more they departed from me. God is calling and we keep running. They keep sacrificing to the Baals and burning offerings to idols. It was I who taught Ephraim to walk, taking them in my arms, but they never knew that I healed them. Man, look at the picture of love and care. He's not bragging. He's just like, I've been taking care of you all this time. Now the king is born and you're ignoring me. I led them with human cords, with ropes of love. I didn't want to put, lead you in bondage. I wanted to lead you with like cords of love that we are connected to one another. To them, I was like one who eases the yoke from their jaws. In other words, all you wanted me to do is fix your problems. You don't really want me to be your king. I bent down to give them food. And even though you're that way, I still took care of you. I still gave you enough food to keep you alive so that maybe you could repent. What a picture when this angel says this to Joseph. Matthew goes on, says, Then Herod saw, when he saw he had been outwitted by the wise men, he flew into rage. I just think that's awesome. So wise people outwitted an idiot. Ha! It's like, duh. Like, that happens to me all the time. Wise people, when I think I'm a king and I'm doing really well and I'm on my throne and I got it right, it's amazing how God will send to me very wise people and be like, you're dumb. And I'm like, oh yeah, sorry. I, I've, I've elevated myself. And so these wise men outwit him and they just get away. And then it says, look, he gave, Herod gave orders to massacre all the male children in and around Bethlehem who were two years old and under, in keeping with the time he had learned from the wise men. Then what was spoken through Jeremiah, another prophet, was fulfilled. A voice was heard in Ramah, weeping in great mourning, Rachel weeping for her children, and she refused to be consoled because they were no more. Death is brutal. The death of a child is awful. There are many people in this room who have lost children and the holidays can be hard. There's always a void in my family because my sister's not there. She was like Malia. If you know my daughter Malia, that was Belinda. I mean, just full of energy, crazy, singing all the time. Like, like Malia's built just like my sister. Like to a T. For God to give me a daughter like my sister is just, I laugh. Sometimes it's hard. I was sick at Susan's family Christmas. I was quarantined in a bedroom upstairs by myself. And I thought of many of you that are, have been alone over the holidays. I prayed for you. God, through that sickness, helped me understand you a little bit more. Maybe the choices were yours. You're alone because you're an idiot. I don't know. Some of you I do. Maybe it's just that's the circumstances. I don't know, but... I just sat in that room and, and it reminded me to be a shepherd, to pray, to, wow, that's hard to be alone, to feel like you're alone. And then everyone around you can hear the noise, you can hear the games, you can hear the screaming, but you can't be a part of it. Because God has given you this sickness and he's the king and you, you allow it. 
You trust Him through it. And exactly what's said here. You see, this child, this child brought a war. The king decided to kill all the children two and under because of when the star appeared. So probably he was about two years old. That's why we think he was probably 18 months to two years old. The star appeared. They started traveling. Herod killed. Can you imagine how horrible? Some people say, well, why, why couldn't God just lead the wise men to Bethlehem and skip Jerusalem? Then they would have never met Herod. Because then Herod and the people in Jerusalem wouldn't have had a chance to repent. They wouldn't have had a chance to ask forgiveness and to go worship the king and surrender their hearts. And their hearts wouldn't have been exposed for the evil, wicked men they were. Jeremiah, here's the best part about this though. In the midst of that Jeremiah quote, look in the same passage in Jeremiah, Jeremiah 31, 15, verse 15 says, this weeping over the death of children. Look at what verse 16 says. Look at it. This is what the Lord says, keep your voice from weeping and your eyes from tears for the reward for your work will come. This is the Lord's declaration and your children, children will return from the enemy's lands. There is hope for your future. This is the Lord's declaration twice, he says, and your children will return to their own country. God is saying, these children that were killed are mine. You will see them again, and you will be reunited, and you will return together when I come back in my glorious King of kings and Lord of lords. Wow. What a promise. I wonder if anybody in Bethlehem read verse 16, or if they only lived in verse 15 without the hope of 16. See, our job is to give people the hope of verse 16 in a world that's verse 15. Revelation says, these have one purpose. All these beasts and enemies have one purpose. They give their power and their authority to the beast. They will make war against the lamb, but the lamb will conquer them because he is Lord of lords and king of kings. Those with him are called chosen and faithful. There's a war. There's an enemy that's trying to kill everybody. He wants to just destroy life and kill people. He wants to kill children. Over 60 million babies aborted in the United States. 60 million. And not for like bad reasons, just because I don't want it. Which is why we crucified Jesus, because we don't want that king. We don't want that life. I'm not embracing that life. I'm, not, I'm unwilling to go down that road. Listen, if you have aborted a, ch a child, remember, there's verse 16. You might have been the King Herod of verse 15 who killed the babies in Ramah and they wept. And Rachel's children are weeping, but there is a verse 16 that says there is a king who came to die for your sins, forgive you, and say, you are my child now, and I have your child, and you will be reunited. Man, what a promise. No one else has that message but us. For God has put into the hearts to carry out his plan by having one purpose, and to give their kingdom to the beast until God's words are accomplished. And the woman you saw in the great city that has an empire over the kings of the earth. In other words... There's going to be adultery. There's going to be wars. There's going to be all this mess. But I am telling you, there is a king of kings and lord of lords who's got it. This is all part of the plan. He goes on and said, after Herod died, an angel of the Lord, again, a messenger, 
appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt, saying, get up, take the child and his mother, and go to the land of Israel, because those who sought the child's life are dead. So he got up, took the child and his mother, and entered the land of Israel. But when he heard that a clay... Ah. Archelaus was ruling over Judah in place of his father Herod. He was afraid to go there. And being warned in a dream, he withdrew to the region of Galilee. So in other words, Joseph is scared. He prays and God gives him an answer. It's right there. That's, that's the proper response. We pray, God gives us an answer. So then he went to the region of Galilee. That's where he withdrew. Okay? Then look at verse 23. Then he went and settled down in a town called Nazareth to fulfill what was spoken. Here's another fulfillment of the Old Testament through the prophet that he will be called a Nazarene. Here's the problem with that. That verse, he will be called a Nazarene, is nowhere in the Old Testament. You can't find a reference to he will be called a Nazarene. Two reasons why. Number one, the word Nazarene is actually a word that's a Hebrew word that can also mean for a sprout. It's just a little sprout. It's not much, just a little sprout out of the ground. It's the same, actually, Hebrew letters that work together because there's no, con there's no uh, vowels, or, yeah, there's no vowels in Hebrew. And so the, the term actually is, he would be called a little sprout. <laughs> little sprout. Little sprout Jesus, right? That, that's what it means. And it says, he will go to Nazareth, which is a city that is insignificant. So he's going to sprout out of an insignificant place. That's what that verse means. Now, is there anywhere in Scripture that says that? I'm glad you asked. Isaiah 11. And then a shoot will grow from the stump of Jesse, and a branch from his roots will bear fruit. The Spirit of the Lord will rest on him, a spirit of wisdom and understanding, a spirit of counsel and strength, a spirit of knowledge, and, a, and the fear of the Lord. There's the sprout. Then a Nazarene will grow up from the root of Jesse. Look at this one. Verse 10. On that day, the root of Jesse, the sprout, will stand as a banner for the people. The nations will seek him, and his resting place will be glorious. On that day, the Lord will extend his hand a second time to recover the remnant of his people who survive. Wait. So there's a first time he's going to come, and there's a second time. Yep, that's exactly what the Old Testament says. This time he comes as the little sprout who's going to die. He's going to come later as the big tree that's going to cause a wreck. And that's the significance of that verse of the Nazarene. John 1 says this, Philip found Nathanael and told him, we have found the one Moses wrote about in the law and the prophets. And so did the prophets. Jesus, the son of Joseph from Nazareth. Look at Nathaniel's, or, uh, Nathaniel's answer. Can anything good come out of Nazareth? This, this town, there's nothing, you can't have stuff. That's, uh, Nazareth, really? It's not a good place. It's a, I don't remember anything in scripture talking about Nazareth. Oh, he's the root, he's the sprout. Isaiah 53 says, he was despised and rejected by man, a man of suffering who knew what sickness was. He was like some people turned away from him. He was despised and we didn't value him. That was his first coming. Listen, you don't want a sprout king. You want a big field king. All oh, the glorious wheat and profit and beauty. You, you want a little sprout king. I don't want a sprout. That's not helpful. Jesus is like, that's all you need, faith of a mustard seed. You just need the sprout. 
I'll bring the increase later. He goes on. As we end the book and you look at Matthew and it says it's all been spoken through the prophets, let me encourage you this morning. Whose kingdom are you pursuing? Are you willing to pursue a kingdom like this where it's like, well, Nazareth? I don't, I don't want to live there. I don't want to go there. I don't want to think that something good can come out of there. Do you want to be despised and rejected, a man of suffering and sickness, like people turn away from? That's your king. Your king hasn't come back to not be that guy yet. Do you realize that? Like That's still Jesus. Like people who are being persecuted around the world for their faith believe Isaiah 53.3 and know he hasn't come back yet to give us kingdoms and wealth and sickness and happiness and health. They know that they are walking with him. He is the shepherd that walks with the wrestlers, the shepherd of Israel. That's the message of our gospel. Does he sometimes give people prosperity and safety and health? Absolutely. I'm getting better from my sickness. Praise the Lord. Like, I'm so thankful. But someday there's going to be a sickness that I probably don't get well from. Does that make him not God? No, not at all. Something's got to get me. And by the way, I'm okay with it. I don't like this body. I want a new one. So this morning, let me ask you, 2023, you made a lot of choices. You either made choices to run to the king of kings like the wise men from the east and to worship him and to bring your best before him and to give him your life. Or you were like Herod and you were like the Pharisees and the Sadducees who you kept up the religious appearances. You, you maybe even persecuted and pushed back against the God of the universe and what he wanted from your life. As you think about 2024, what's it going to be? Your kingdom or his? When Paul is writing to Timothy, this is what I want to leave you with. Paul says this to Timothy, but you, man of God, run from these things. And he gives a list of things that we need to run from so that we can run to the shepherd and the king of kings. He says, pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, endurance, and gentleness, Fight, gentleness, by the way, does not mean like, oh, harmless. It means power under control. It means meekness. If you are a harmless person, you are no good to the kingdom of God. God does not want you to be harmless. He wants you to be a warrior who keeps your sword sheathed. That's what he wants. He wants you to be a strong warrior of his who doesn't walk around killing people, but is like, I could, but God is holding me back. That's gentleness, biblically. Then he says, fight the good fight for the faith. Take hold of eternal life. Not this life, not your best life now. Take hold of eternal life. And then he says, so that you were... Uh, life that you were called to and have made a good confession about in the presence of many witnesses. The, the wise men were making confessions in front of everybody, in front of kings and as they were traveling, like, where are you going? We're going to go see the king of the Jews. Like, they, you know, they were excited. They were constantly talking, you know, going to Jerusalem. They bust through. Like, can you imagine the party when they got back to Persia? Did you find him? Oh, we found him. 
Like it was a party. Where is that in us for 2024? Well, we have that worship and I've found him. There's a world who's looking. And yes, there are the Herods and the religious people that could give a, you know, they don't care at all. They don't care at all that he's, but there are people searching who are desperate like Anna and Simeon that we read about last week. It says, look, in the presence of God who gives life to all and of Christ Jesus who gave a good confession before Pontius Pilate, I charge you to keep the command without fault or failure until the, the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ. Yahweh, who is Yahweh, who saves, who is the Messiah. What's the command? It's the whole book. The command of God to love and worship him. God will bring this about, look at this, in his own time. You're going to have to endure. You're going to have to wrestle. It's in his time, not yours or mine. They had been waiting 400 years since the last prophet in Israel spoke. 400 years between Malachi and Matthew. And then it says, look at this. I love this. He is the blessed and only sovereign, the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Do you believe that? He's the King of kings and Lord of lords? Because he is. And if you haven't surrendered to him and you think you're building your own kingdom, you're going to wake up someday and realize that you are no king. And you, you're going to have to stand before the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. And the wise men, when they stood before the King of Kings and Lord and Lords at the end of their death, they had already bowed and worshipped him. They were good to go. They had already given him their best. They were ready to meet him again. Are you? Are you? What kingdom are you trying to build? What king are you living for? Because there is the King of kings and Lord of lords, and he has given us the clarity of his word in every way so that there's without a doubt that he is who he says he is. What child is this? Oh, he's the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And if you've not surrendered to him, man, be a wise person. Be a wise man or woman today and surrender. Bring your best, whatever that is, and say, here's the best I've got. This is me. I surrender. I'm done. And see if God doesn't meet you. See if he doesn't appear before you and lead you to be the shepherd that you've been looking for. That will wrestle with you and be with you as Emmanuel the rest of your life. And you will suffer like he suffered. You will feel what he feels. You will go through what he went through. Because he's getting you ready to minister to other people who need to hear this message. Let's pray. Father, thank you this morning for your word. Lord, I'm so grateful for how your word pulls everything together from Genesis that we read, from Numbers, from Jeremiah, from Micah, from Hosea, from Isaiah. Lord, all these prophets, all these things that, Lord, if, if only one of them were true, it'd be a miracle. And we have hundreds and hundreds of prophecies that proves you are who you said you were. This is no small thing. And Lord, either you are the King of kings and the Lord of lords, or you're a fake, and you're a liar, and you're a lunatic. And so Lord, I pray that we would do business with you in 2024. Like the wise men who surrendered everything, left their families, left their land, left whatever it was they had, and traveled because they had to find this King. I pray that would be our hearts in 2024. 
And Lord, help us, as Timothy, Paul said to Timothy, to obey the command to walk with you, to know that you are a shepherd that will walk with us, Emmanuel, God with us, and you will wrestle with us like you wrestled with Israel so that we can come out on the other side while we might be limping, confident that you have us. So Lord, if anyone here is not surrendered to you, I pray today would be the day they say, I'm done. I surrender. I bow before you and I worship because you are God and I'm not. And I'm sorry that I've tried to be my own God and I've sinned before you and I've I've not listened to you. Please forgive me. Make me who you want me to be. And for those of us who are believers, help us to not grow like the believers in Jerusalem, cold to your kingship and your lordship, we pray. In your name, amen. As we go, I'll leave you with this last thing that when you come to the end of the book of Revelation, it's a passage we read a lot in our church. It says, then I heard a loud voice from the throne, right? From the king's throne. It says, look, God's dwelling is with men and he will live with them. They will be his people and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. Death will no longer exist. Grief, crying, and pain will exist no longer because the previous things have passed away. I pray that you'd believe that this week. And I pray that you would tell people about the incredible King and Lord that you have. With that, have a good week. 